0: We are currently raising a seed round of funding. If you're an investor that is focused on disruptive tech, I'd love to tell you more about the platform. You can reach out to me at jaden at AIbox.ai. I'll leave that email in the show notes. Welcome to the AI Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of speaking with Vineet Jain. He was born in India and is a graduate of Delhi College of Engineering. Vinit has over 25 years experience in Silicon Valley's B2B tech sector. So after roles at Boots, PLC, Bechtel, and KPMG, he founded Valdero and later co-founded Ignite, which is a cloud-based collaboration platform, which is doing some really incredible things in AI. Under his leadership, Ignite has collaborated with tech giants like Amazon and Google and has grown into a global enterprise. Vinit, welcome to the show and thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thank you so much, Jaden. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing to have someone uh, with your experience and background on the show today. Would you mind telling everyone a little bit about um, what it is that Ignite does, what the problems that it is solving for customers are, and, and kind of where you guys are going with it?
1: Sure, absolutely. So the idea of Ignite was born by uh, our own experience working in enterprises before of information uh, access, information sharing, especially for a knowledge worker, and the amount of friction that people had to deal with. And the fundamental construct used to be, uh, in a typical sense, a file server that companies had, people were accessing either remotely or working in the office remotely being VPN. So our first foray of how we built Ignite was to say, okay, can we replace this with a cloud-based, multi-tenanted hosted architecture which became the underpinning of Ignite. And that evolved into, in Gartner speak, content collaboration. And then we started adding to that capabilities related to content security and governance. Because on one hand, the end users care about value maximization, i.e. what can I do with my content? Right. I quickly look at the content. But with increasing amount of data leaving the enterprise, i.e. the cloud, the growing concern around risk management, risk mitigation has become paramount. So how do you take these two seemingly divergent constructs and cobble them together and offer as a platform to the customers has been a big part of what we had we have driven this company's growth with. That's
0: amazing. That's really impressive. And you know, you talked a little bit about uh, kind of kind of the beginning and where it's going. I'm I'm curious. How did you kind of navigate the transition from like a simple file sharing solution um to this like you know AI powered platform that you are today?
1: So you know, while of course AI is the big topic du jour. Uh, I kind of joke it's the flavor of the month, but I think this is going to last longer. Right. Uh, you know, I would say for the past 10 years, if I say so, we already have been leveraging uh, techniques related to machine learning and NLP or language, uh, natural, natural language processing uh, to what today I would call as AI-enabled features. Things like detecting data exfiltration, uh, safety violations, compliance management, and then things like executing data management policies, which run the gamut of how do you identify what is redundant, obsolete, trivial, and stale information, and then have a policy-driven engine for retention, archival, deletion. Uh, these are the things we had been doing for a while, using a variety of statistical and deep learning techniques since 2013. And then, of course, on July 26th, because you know this is a topic du jour, we announced some fairly interesting generative AI-driven capabilities, which I'm happy to talk about.
0: Yeah, yeah. Would you mind telling us a little bit about uh, those generative AI capabilities and what you guys are building there?
1: Sure. So, you know, on one hand, uh, as I was telling you, we've been doing these things related to what has become, you know, the deep topic today, which is AI. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just to add to other things we were doing, anomalous user behavior detection, uh, learning about uh, risk signals coming in from a particular location, a particular person, looking at their user behavior. Those things have been baked in. But what we announced the other day, which was actually on July 26th, uh, was how do you uh, do content synthesis beyond document classification? But that goes into document summarization and answer extraction. So mm-hmm. it is demonstrated in capabilities like, I'll give you simple examples. There's an internal chatbot that customers can use to query a document or a set of documents. A good example is mm-hmm. uh, you have a 26-page report. You could run a query using this internal chatbot to say, what has been the sales uh, strategy in the Midwest region related to life sciences? And rather than read the whole document, it will synthesize that information and present it to you real-time. Yeah. Uh, And this becomes very powerful, Jaden, when you're talking about it being pointed not to a single document, but a corpus of data, which could be multiple files. So, in fact, I, I I pointed that to my CRO's weekly sales report for the last nine weeks. And I said, give me the trend analysis of the churn metrics by pointing to these documents. So, instead of in the past, you would take this unstructured content, make it structured, push that into a big table or some kind of underlying database. And then through a reporting engine like a Tableau or something on top, you don't have to do that anymore. You basically can use generative AI, the kind of capabilities that we are building, and being able to do that with all the unstructured content. So the internal chatbot is one. Document summarization is another one, which is it gives you the critical information in files without having to read the whole thing. Audio transcription to extract messages out of audio video files. These are some of the things we have already announced and we are making it increasingly available to our 25,000 customers.
0: Wow, that's incredible. What has been, uh, that? that's like like you mentioned, this is incredibly powerful uh, technology. It makes a big difference being able to, you know, kind of sit there and query documents and, and other content inside of a database, give really rich um, responses. And I've seen a number of different companies doing this in different ways, right? I believe Shopify came out with one that like allows people in their shop to kind of ask it questions around, you know, what's going on in the data within their shop. For for Ignite, what has been the customer response uh, since launching these, these AI tools?
1: You know, that's a very interesting question because you would think that with all the hype and all the noise around generative AI in particular, that enterprise users would be clamoring uh, and jumping up and down to say, I need the capabilities. On mm-hmm. the contrary, in the enterprise context there is a real fear about security issues related to hey are you using chat gpt uh mm-hmm. in the public and therefore training the model for public use and is therefore my data security being compromised and so we have to have a lot of explanation to say no uh like we are currently llm agnostic so we are okay. left some of these with gpt 3.5 on and azure uh-huh. with a state model so nothing gets persisted in azure mm-hmm. And we have all kinds of TLCs to say, look, your data has not been stored. It's encrypted. Um, it's a stateless model and whatnot. Uh, but the fear that your information might be going into public domain or because we have so many customers, it's a multi-tenanted architecture, uh-huh. that there's no co of data to give you more accurate response. Those are real concerns. Mm-hmm. I would say... Most customers are excited about the capabilities, but they are a little hesitant to have it turned on on the Git code. They want a lot more validation and a lot more review before they say, now give it to all my users. And we are currently going through that process, Jade.
0: Okay, very interesting. Can you talk to us a little bit about like what a typical business or enterprise's use case is when they're coming to Ignite? What are, what are What's your typical customer doing? What problems are you typically solving for them?
1: Sure. Even though... As we have evolved the product and the platform footprint has gotten bigger, it's become a veritable Swiss army knife with all all kinds of capabilities. But at the most base level, because you and I live in the world of tech and we drink our own Kool-Aid, we think everyone is tech savvy, everyone's moved to the cloud. Surprisingly, the most basic use case of migrating to the cloud, in our case, removing file servers and direct network attached storage and just moving your data into a cloud-based substrate and then being able to access that using your mobile desktop or whatever web interfaces, that primary use case, which appears so primal, is still a bulk of our new customer evolution or growth story. The most basic. Mm -hmm. The more advanced people are looking into, okay, now that I moved to the cloud, how do I make the cloud or this repository to be the underpinning of all my data while it's being accessed with my line of business apps, like a Salesforce or Marketo, or if I'm in a... Uh, a particular industry like construction engineering with my Bluebeam, my Plan Grid, my life sciences, my Benchling. So we think that everyone's moved to the cloud. Only 20% of the customers or the potential market in North America has already adopted the cloud. The rest is still a greenfield territory. So that's the most primal use case. Mm-hmm. But most no. companies that we have, which have been with us for a long time, which made the evolution to the cloud a decade back. Mm-hmm. They are more focused on elements of cybersecurity and data governance, along with the slew of increasing compliances, CCPA, GDPR, and all these different states are coming out with their own Privacy Regulations Act. They are more concerned about the risk mitigation, the ransomware protection, compliances like CMMC. So, depending on your evolution and move to the cloud, the level of sophistication, what you need from a product is also different. Mm. And we those continuums
0: okay yes that makes a lot of sense i can see a lot of a lot of value there talk to me a little bit about um so on this podcast we have a lot of listeners that are you know ai entrepreneurs or starting out in the in the ai space creating tools talk to me a little bit about the beginning days of ignite what did you know what what kind of inspired you to start this company what kind of got you motivated and what did that what did that step look like for you
1: so, Jaden, I'm a product guy. I'm an ex-engineer. In fact, I started my career writing C code on an operating system that most people probably haven't heard on your podcast, vms okay. okay. And then I was writing on uh, Unix. Uh, so I go deep into technology. So okay. the reason I bring that up is not to say, look at me or date myself. It's the fundamental. If there's one secret source of superpower of Ignite, it's fundamentally a product-centric culture. Mm. And Four of us who started the company, I and the three others, we are all ex-product people or engineers. And that shows in the amount of effort we put in on the product side. So today, uh, just to be on record, we are 16 years old. Okay. Even today at a late stage, and we are private yet, 30% of our OPEX goes into R&D. Wow. Which in a company at this stage is 17 to 21%. So that shows to you that we keep investing on the product side And going back to the crux of your question, we've always believed in building a fantastic product that the end users love to use. And if you build a great product, you know, more upsell will happen and therefore your dollar-based retention will go up, churn will be single digits, which is all true in our case. But the most important thing is end users love using your product. That to me is the most satisfying thing. And we have striven and we continue to strive to say, if I bump into a customer, if I go into a CIO's uh, office to talk about Ignite, the first thing I want to hear is we love Ignite. It makes a difference. It delivers the value. Mm. Well, I'm not being altruistic, man. Look, we are as capitalist as anyone and we have to create value for everybody, including the mm-hmm. effort and the stockholders. But I fundamentally believe in my core heart. Don't chase valuation. Create value for your own customers. The value will be created in your company's valuation. But value versus valuation. So we have never gone around saying, look at us, we are a unicorn. In fact, I don't like using the term. I say, if you want to call me something, I'm a stallion, not a unicorn. (laughs) I I have, you know, written to my own drumbeat just to make a point here. Mm -hmm. And this is on record. This is audited numbers. ENY is our auditors. For the last seven years, we have grown a respectable 25 to 30% year over year. Wow, it's okay. impressive. It's not—it's not a seventy, ninety percent growth with insanely high losses or very high losses. Five out of seven years, we've been cash flow positive. We are today at scale, so we are well north of two hundred million dollars. Um, we have thousand plus employees, but the thing which is—I take a lot of pride and therefore my bragging rights—we have been EBITDA positive for the past several quarters with improving EBITDA margins. We are adding cash to the balance sheet and not eating off it, which is. Becoming more and more coming back into fashion. But four or five years back, people would challenge me to say, Man, you're not growing 70% or 90%. That growth is what you should focus on. Mm-hmm. And my reaction used to be a polite F that I'm going to build the way I want to build, which is a total antithesis to the Silicon Valley approach, which is growth at any cost model. I never, ever pursued that. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's really uh that's amazing that you were ahead of the curve on that. I mean, I guess this comes from, you know, 25 years experience in Silicon Valley. This isn't your first rodeo or first time around, but yeah, you it definitely was, you know, 2020, 2021, everything was so frothy in the markets. People were, you know, giving away money like crazy and um you saw people raise crazy amounts of money and I feel like a lot of really unsustainable business practice. So that's that's uh, to your own um credit that's amazing that you had the foresight to build in such a sustainable way that that um you know would make this a long-term play and and really sustainable company and i think that is really good advice for anyone building in ai anyone entrepreneurs in tech um right now talk to me a little bit about um when you wanted to put together ignite um what that core team looked like how you found your core team members when you started this and i guess the importance of having a, a really solid team for a company
1: this is one area where even today i feel very blessed uh, obviously there were four of us to start with and i knew all of them from my prior life uh, in fact my previous startup before this which you referred to in my introduction valdero the the two out of the three were co-founders there i was always the main driving force that would put people together um besides these four When we started hiring people which traditionally is engineering and products, less in marketing because you're trying to build the product first. Yeah. I am very happy to tell you I still have some of the core team members with me. They've been with me for the last 10, 11 years. Wow. Uh, The value creation for them individually, their own growth, their roles and responsibilities have grown. And I find it so gratifying that, you know, we've created a culture and an environment where people, of course, everyone has to make more money As you go through life, expenses go up, family, kids, college, whatever. So you have to support that for sure. But the level of excitement, the joy of when you were a ten-person company, now that you're a plus thousand-person company, and people feel that there's a personal growth, that's what keeps people motivated. So Mm -hmm. my unsolicited advice to anyone would be: is find people who are having a certain core set of values that align with yours. and one of the things I keep repeating is there's too much of a focus on valuation versus value. I find it silly that people go on to LinkedIn, announce their funding, which they try to do every 18 months. Funding is not your bragging right. It mm-hmm. should be more about business growth. Yeah. I do understand you have to create credibility to say, to attract talent, and therefore you have to show my $100 million round, which 25 million round. But I feel that people congratulate themselves to say, I raised 100000000 million. I'm like, dude, that's somebody else's money. Yeah, And you go put it away. Why are you congratulating yourself? It's like, what did you do with that money is what you can yeah. brag about.
0: Yeah, so what are the do- results of the actual company?
1: Right. And, you know, this is tech in general, but things are changing to some extent. People are associating uh, more with value creation than just insane growth. And I think in the current climate where valuations are getting crammed for subsequent runs for private companies, Public company valuations are coming back to some reasonable val- multiples, especially in the tech sector. I feel that some common sense is coming back. That at least my opinion. I sound quite a contrarian in the past, but not so more anymore. I feel like people are saying, mm-hmm. "Okay, this you now." Yeah,
0: yeah, one hundred percent. And I guess on that vein, I would love to pick your brain on on where you see this going because you kind of alluded um, before to the fact that AI is kind of like it, it's. Like, it's kind of the trend of the day, 100%. How do you think AI and like some people call it the AI bubble, but let's call it like the AI boom or the AI revolution or whatever you want to call it, right? Right now, how would you call this current kind of AI cycle that we're seeing? How do you view this compared to perhaps previous ones, right? Like with the previous crypto cycle um, or the, you know, the Web3 decentralized, crazy valuations, crazy amounts of money. Where do you see those two on, I guess, like on a long term play in, in tech? How do you see the integrations and the sustainability of those? And comparing those two kind of bubbles or
1: movements, it's interesting. We have that discussion quite a bit internally, and you know, and I've been here in the valley for thirty years, so I've seen uh, two thousand one, two thousand eight. I've seen IoT bubble, or well, IoT hype, then Web mm-hmm. three centralized DAOs, crypto, and of course now AI. So it's interesting that in tech we always have something new, mm-hmm. and then comes to be the thing that's going to solve world hunger. You're right, But right. talking about it, this one in particular will have a long-term, long-tail effect in terms of the value creation because I do think that if applied correctly, uh, these existing AI techniques and the evolving techniques, I, I don't believe we'll ever get to AGI. I mm-hmm. don't see that happening the foreseeable future where AI can be almost like a human. I, I don't believe in that. We are a long ways to go unless okay. we get into computing or something. But I do believe that the amount of productivity impact, the amount of knowledge synthesis that can be done using uh, the current and evolving AI techniques, they are real. So, I don't think that this is a hype uh, cycle that will abate. The valuations are abating like the VCs were clamoring over each other to get into some AI investment. A lot of AI companies were nothing but uh, rappers on chat GPT in my opinion. (laughs) Seriously but yeah. i think this this will persist for years to come but yeah there'll be less hype around it
0: where do you see the biggest um opportunity in ai i mean you know you're in, you're currently integrating ai tools in your platform you're seeing the ways the enterprises are using them you know you mentioned that a lot of startups were wrappers on openai's api call where do you see the most sustainable or the most um the most opportunity in AI? Is it the AI models? Is it the infrastructural technology supporting them? Where do you kind of
1: see that? My belief is that, look, the, the LLMs that you're getting from a Google or from a Facebook or where the big guys are, you know, besides chat, uh, chat GPT, or sorry, uh, OpenAI. I believe that the, the generic large LLMs will only go so far and there's a lot of value in them. Don't, I'm not underestimating their power. But where I believe the more exciting thing is going to be is going to be in vertical specific uh, AI. Uh, Like, we are working on, and even though we haven't come out with cool, buzzy marketing terms, so it sounds Uh hokey, but we're calling it Ignite AI for Life Sciences, Ignite AI for uh, AEC, Architecture, Engine Construction. We are building our own language models there, and One of the biggest challenges in building a model is to train the models with the amount of data you have access to. Mm -hmm. The biggest problem is not building a billion attribute or a 500 million attribute model. I mean, that itself is a non-trivial problem. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. It's training the model and the data that you need access to. Now, fortunately, in our case, uh, because of the nature of our business, where people's content resides with us, we have petabytes and petabytes of data. So we can leverage that to refine the models. I think the real power of AI will be felt in industry-specific AI models that people will build, including companies like Ignite, and then extract the value out of these models to deliver the document synthesis to actionable uh, uh, activities that you can uh, uh, automate using uh, elements of AI. But I think it will be tied to industry-specific models, in my opinion. That is at least my core belief right now. It will even more change.
0: Yeah, and I think that you 100% are going in the right direction there, and that's uh, impressive that you guys have the first sight over at Ignite, and you're building those out. I I remember, um, it kind of reminds me of a a conversation, Stanford trained PubMed GPT, and essentially they grabbed all the publicly available medical journals, and they made a GPT that was good at answering medical questions. They said, this is great to answer medical questions, but if you wanted this to be even better, you would train like a heart disease GPT or like a breast cancer GPT on very specific areas, Um, and so... Yeah, I think, you know, right now, like you said, we got the Googles, the the meta, we have OpenAI and stuff with kind of these big, large general ones. But I see the space as well, like you, where this is going to be fragmented to thousands of really specialized specific models. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's really impressive that over at Ignite, you guys are are kind of building that out and on the forefront of building, you know, you have the data and and that's really where it comes down to who has that data and is able to, to build powerful things from there. I do yeah. have a question because um, you did mention kind of GDPR and, and compliance and stuff um, with regulations, like those kind of coming into play, how has Ignite like adapted its AI solutions to help businesses stay compliant with, with all of that.
1: See right now <clears throat> from a industry uh, standard industry compliances, like for instance, you know, when you're looking at uh generic uh, PII or sorry, uh Uh, you know, identifying uh, information like PII or other critical identifiers, generic AI or NLP can help you do that. Even things like, you know, if you had your social security number in a picture, Uh uh, using all techniques, we can extract that and say, hey, this is your social security number. Mm. And depending on what kind of heuristics you've defined, it's treated as a high priority or high risk item, then you look at who's got access to it to say, hey, only HR should have access to this, why somebody in engineering is able to access So Those things, to me, are relatively mundane. Okay. Uh, but I think that, and and a lot of these compliances, you mentioned GDPR, I mentioned CCPA, there's CFR Part 11 in life sciences, uh, there's all other things in different industries. Those things can be delivered using NLP and data classification Uh quite easily. Mm-hmm. I think uh, couple that with the fact that there's still a growing sensitivity about how much information synthesis you can do and therefore extract things that can be presented to the end user. Uh, does it go in front of the right eyes? Does your scanning uh, not go outside the boundaries of what you're allowed to see in the context of an enterprise? those issues to me are more relevant and more concerning for uh, enterprise uh, IT, enterprise CISOs. I'm not sure right now if I'm seeing that compliances and regulations and AI are sort of, uh, let's say what you call them, they are at cross purposes. Now, of course, as you see AI becoming more pervasive, I can bet you even uh, the data sovereignty issues about EU data versus uh, U.S. data versus data in Canada mm-hmm. and Canada provinces; those issues will start coming in context of AI, but so far we haven't run into that that often. Okay. I think we're in the early innings, to be honest. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's really
0: interesting. Um, talking about a little bit of your of your journey, I know you guys have have done a bunch of really interesting things. Um, I was looking over at your. Uh, website, and I noticed that you guys kind of mentioned invisible apps. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the concept of invisible apps and how they enhance users' experience,
1: what kind of feedback you've received from users about those. So, you know, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought up that topic. Um, So, in my opinion, as you call invisible apps, they enhance and optimize the user experience quite seamlessly, if they're done right. So, to me, it's having software that works non-intrusively alongside the user. Uh, For example, and I may have mentioned that before, how can you automatically prioritize incoming content based on learned risky signals? Why is that important? Because that can allow for faster identification of anomalous content and user behavior. Uh, So we have introduced several of these AI-powered invisible apps without requiring user intervention Mm. One such app is the content recommendation generated within and around the search queries. The other is what we call is a smart cache app that I hate to use buzzy terms, but that does employ deep learning techniques that will preload the large files locally on a hypervisor device based on anticipated user needs. So when people are in the office, they'll be able to access the data at land speeds on a local cache without they needing to pin that data explicitly. So you have to factor in things like users' roles, past activities, current place within the application to recommend what I would call as knowledge base entries and prioritize recent activity within the search results. These are some of the examples of invisible apps that we have already uh, provided capabilities around within the product. I don't know if I answered your question.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes, that was, a, that was a great explanation. Vinny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I know we have to wrap this up. But if people wanna get in contact with you um, or if they wanna learn more about Ignite, where can they find
1: you and where can they find more about Ignite? So even though I might be inviting a lot of spam, I'll give you my email address. It's vjain at e-g-n-y-t-e dot com. And oddly enough, on Twitter, which I still use by the way, despite signing up on threads and it was just signed off and nobody really is on there. uh, On X now, my Twitter handle is such an oxymoronic, it's cloud not enough. So you can DM me on that or you can email me at vgen at ignite.com.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll add you on Twitter. And um yeah, ignite.com. People can go visit uh, there to find out more about what you guys are building. Website, of course. Yeah. Yes, yes. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. And for the listeners, thanks so much for tuning into the AI Chat Podcast. Make sure to rate us wherever you listen to your podcast and have a wonderful rest of your day.